thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Uh, so we're really glad you're here. You should have, everyone should have a booklet, and that hopefully everyone does. You'll be writing and taking notes. Uh, it's important that we are here today because uh, when we go to uh, Uganda, th- uh, this, there's a lot of ways to share the gospel, a lot of different methods or whatever. But this is the way that the African translators have practiced and are prepared to share the gospel. So this way, because we're doing translation issues, that's why it's super important that we're all on the same page because the uh, verses that we're using, the illustrations that we're using, all those things are the way that the uh, Ugandans and the Kenyan translators are prepared to share the gospel. So this is not the only way to share the gospel, of course, but this is the way that the Presbyterian Church of Eastern Uganda uses it, and that's what we want to do, be on the same page with them. So I asked my friend Keith Alley to uh, do our training today. So Keith has uh, been uh, one of the guys who introduced me to East Africa church planning. He started going to Africa in 2001. He's been uh, church planted four times in Uganda, 10 times in Kenya, and I think I've been seven times with him. And uh, so uh, I just, uh, and his wife, uh, Linda's here as well. She's been there all those times as well. And so just like a, a wealth of knowledge of practical experience of doing church planning in uh, Uganda and Kenya. And he, they wish they could go with us this year, but, you know, sometimes you can only do what you can do. So with that, I want to have uh, my brother Keith come on up. Thank you, Jaime. Well, <clears throat> so who here is going to Uganda or is associated with someone going to Uganda? Raise your hands. Or you've been to Uganda. All right, so this is all Uganda, huh? Really, essentially. So, all right, so I take a little, um, just seeing where everybody's coming from there. So, um, as Jaime said, my name is Keith. Uh, my wife, Linda. Linda, raise your hand. That's my wife. And uh, so just a little testimony about this mission trip that you're going to to go on. So in 2001, actually in the year 2000, um, we had, we got saved in 80, 83, 84, something like that, 83, 84. And my Christian walk was probably a steady incline of about like this. You can't see it. My spiritual walk, growing in the Lord, learning the Word, and things like that, um, but steady, but not very, not very steep. You know, it's kind of like this. And um, we had moved from Odessa, Texas, which you'll learn more about in this seminar, and uh, and then we moved to Florida for a short time. Short time, and then God landed us in uh, in Rosenberg, Texas. And we were looking for a Bible church because that's what we did. We went to Bible churches back then. Um, that's what we were associated with and where we got saved. And so we were hunting for a Bible church. And uh, I was running a rental equipment store then. Um, and a man walked in wanting to rent a piece of equipment. He wanted a scissor lift. 
So Linda got to talk to him. So just so happened, isn't it? We don't we have those just so happened in our life, and it really it, to God, it's not just so happening. He, he orchestrated this thing in our lives, and um, we asked, well, you know, we had just gotten to Rosenberg, and this man came in, and, and Linda got to talking to him. He says, yeah, we go to Grace Community Bible Church, and and um, so you know, you guys ought to come on out. So we went to this church, and this was in ninety. Um, probably 98, 99, something like that, started going to the church. And we had heard they, they were getting interested in planting churches. It was, you know, off of our radar. We, you know, we don't do things like that in, in, in our family. That's not what we do. Um, and so, but the Lord began to work on us. Teams would come back the next year and begin to give testimonies. And the Lord was working in our heart, speaking to us. And, uh, you know, like, hey, would you find, Lord, you know, Lord gives us, he, he doesn't shove anything on us, you know. He gives it to us. And so the Lord was giving us this. And um, and so then the next year a team came back, and our excitement grew just a little bit more. But we still had doubt, you know, whether, you know, can I've never shared the gospel in my life with anyone, no less got someone alone and talked to them face-to-face about something spiritual or something about God I couldn't do that. I couldn't even pray. I remember sitting in the Bible church right after we got saved, and our pastor would always call on someone to pray during that time, and I would not make eye contact with him. Because if you made eye contact with him, he's going to call on you. So don't ever look, Matthew, in the eyes, because he may call on you to pray. <laughs> or if you want to pray, look him straight in his eyes. But I would. that's how shy I was. I was very shy, even as a, as a young as, as a young kid. I was a very shy, um, to myself person. I didn't want to have very little contact with people. You know, I was fine sitting in my room doing things by myself, and and that's what kind of personality I had. Well, Lord, as He began to change me and and change us, even as we were listening to these people come back from Africa, uh, their lives. You know, we saw people that. I felt they were just like me, but the Lord could do something through them. And so the Lord started speaking to me about this idea that maybe I could be a part of this. And and um, so the next year, we committed to going as a family. Our daughter was 13 at the time, and our son was 14 at the time. Too young as we look back now, but we wanted to take we wanted to go as a family. And so we all went over. And there were many obstacles to get over. First of all were the finances. We thought, well, you know, as a, back then it was like twenty-seven fifty a person. So we had four of them. So we had over four people in our family. We had over $10,000, uh, you know, that we thought we had to provide. You know, how, how is this going to happen? But as the process slowly went on, the Lord showed us that the Lord does own all this. This is all of his. All the mountains, all the cattle, everything that we see, that we hear in Scripture, He owns all that. It's all of His. And He works on hearts. I was just sharing with Jaime about someone from our past from four or five years ago that we haven't seen in probably that amount of time. Right, Jaime? Give to Jaime this year. And so that was an obstacle. And Lord, finally, He got us over that obstacle. We were able to see the Lord do something in these areas that we felt, well, you know, you know, if one gets to go, then I'll go. If two gets to go, then my daughter will go. If three in our family get to go, then Linda will go or our son will go. 
or something like that. But slowly the Lord built these things. Then we had to learn how to share the gospel. And I went through a class just like you're going to go through today. And this is what the Lord built in me through this gospel message, a desire to reach the lost in this world. And I pray that same thing for you today. And so over these years, 14 years, um, now we've been going to Uganda and Kenya. And I feel it is my calling. The Lord is giving me this calling and I need to answer it. And you're here today. And you've answered a calling that the Lord has asked you. Maybe it's been simple, you know. That would be interesting to go. Or, Lord, I just desire to serve you wherever you would have me. By the way, the Lord commanded you to do this. When he told you to be his witnesses, his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, the Lord commanded you to do this. He said, do this. Now, there are times when we know that maybe, the and the Lord knows, that I have to grow you up or I have to get you there or I'm going to do something in your life. And maybe you're a sender, you know, but you're still a part of this ministry of, of sending people to Africa and the gospel of Jesus Christ being over there. And the Lord's going to change your life. I believe I've seen it year after year after year without fail, without fail, 100% of the time, the Lord changes lives through mission trips. And he will change your life through this. You walk the path. When doubt comes, you get encouragement from those men that have walked the mission field before. And you get encouragement, but you walk that path. You continue to take, take step after step. Don't give up. Keep moving forward step after step. And let the Lord provide. Yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, it takes a lot of boldness. Yes, you're doing something that you may not have done in, in all of your life. But the Lord can do this. The Lord can do all things through you, in you. All things, not just a few things, all things. And in the end, you will be rewarded. And I was rewarded. I truly was. If I never get anything else in this world... I, Lord, give me a wonderful wife and a wonderful family. And he's given me this. He's let me see miracles. We talked about miracles, gift of miracles. Today. You will see miracles. You will see, I'm telling you right now, you will see dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds, come to the Lord as a result of you saying, Lord, use me. And that's the greatest miracle, isn't it? It really is. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get a few um, things out of the way, and then let's dive into this. Let's go to word, the Lord in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you in Africa, Lord. But not just in Africa, Lord. <laughs> Lord, you're going to use whatever we learn today, whatever we learn in Africa, Lord, to glorify you for the rest of our lives in service. Lord, to not just lead people to the Lord, to you in Africa, Lord, but to come back here with boldness and confidence to lead people to the Lord here at home. Lord, we minister. You know, Lord, we, you, you call us over there for two weeks. 
But there's 50 other weeks, Lord, we minister here, and we know that, and we thank you for that opportunity, Lord. And I pray for this group, Lord, that as they prepare to go over, Lord, you equip them, Lord, you build funds, Lord, you you build confidence in you and boldness in you. Lord, we know it all comes from you. And I pray, Lord, that you do miracles upon miracles, that we see thousands come to know your son as their savior, Lord, as a result of what these people have committed to doing here. Your body, Lord, as we study today. These evangelists, that even though they don't know, Lord, that they're evangelists, they are. Many of them, Lord, don't even know this, but they are. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray, Lord, that you give them, Lord, every tool that they need to go over there, Lord, every ounce of boldness, Lord, every ounce of courage, Lord, and may it all be given as we know, Lord, and that it only can be given by your Spirit, Lord. And we ask that through your Spirit, Lord. Lord, we pray for this time that as we go through this, Lord, that you open our hearts and open our minds. Uh, Some of us, Lord, that may have their way of sharing Christ, would you just put another tool in their tool belt, Lord, to share the good news of Jesus Christ? We are never too old, Lord, to learn. And so teach all of us, including myself today, Lord, even though I've been through this many times. Lord, teach me. Change me. Change all of us today. Lord, and and in the end, Lord, every minute spent in here, every sacrifice, every dollar spent on food or transportation, every sacrifice given outside of this, Lord, of away from our family, Lord, it will be worth it, Lord, because you will use this. I know, Lord to lead the loss to you. And that one day, Lord, when all of it is completed, when the last one comes to know your son is their Savior, Lord, you will take us up and we will be with you one day. And Father, what a glorious day that will be. And we look forward to that. We count on it, Lord, and we depend upon it and we trust in it. So Lord, just do a good work today. Speak through me. Open our ears. Keep us awake, Lord. And all this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you have your booklets there. Can I get a booklet? So you have your booklet. Go ahead and open it to that first page right there. You can tell it. You can tell it. So you'll see what's written there. Session one, we're going to have three sessions. We're going to have three sessions in this. So in the first session, we're going to talk about what we tell the non-Christian and what is God asking the non-Christian to do. If we're going to be clear, confident, and consistent in evangelism, we must be able to answer those two questions. What we tell the non-Christian, exactly what we tell the non-Christian, and what is God asking the non-Christian to do. And then in session two, it's how to present the gospel and a word of caution. I'm going to introduce you to a method. It's called the bad news, good news approach. It's a simple gospel message that I've used to share the good news of Christ in Africa, in children's Sunday school, in adult Sunday school, from the pulpit. It's the same gospel message that I've used, that I've led people to the Lord in all three of those areas. It's a simple gospel message. Bad news, good news. And you can use that, as I said, to share with people anywhere, anytime.
And then session three, we're going to talk about. So we're going to take a short break between session one and session two. You'll be able to use the restroom. If you got to get up and, and go to the restrooms, please feel free to do that. You're not going to interrupt me. I'll just keep going through, but you're going to miss good stuff. So <laughs> anyways, then so session two, we'll go through that and then we'll quickly go through session three. I'm hoping it'll take two hours to go through this a little bit less now that we've had the introduction and then we'll get out of here. So hopefully, you know, you'll get home and enough time to get your lives back together for tomorrow. So anyway, so let's go ahead and dive into it. So, you know, many people are, if you will, they make the gospel or sharing the gospel difficult, just really difficult. You know, it's this insurmountable. If I, you know, what we do is we, we get, we get with people. I'm sorry. I'm trying to stay right here. We get with people and we say, well, they need to know, they need to hear about Christ. You know, they need to, we need to talk to them about Christ. You know what we'll do? We'll send them over to the pastor and he'll talk to them, you know, cause that's, that's his job. He knows that, you know, but it actually the Lord's asking you to do it, you know, but we make it difficult. We make it this insurmountable. I don't know how to share Christ with anyone. Well, there's a guy that did the same thing in another area. He was writing a letter. He said, Dear Sir, I am writing in response to your request for an additional information for my insurance claim. In block number three, he's writing a letter to the insurance company. In block number three of an accident claim form, I wrote, trying to do the job alone as a cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain that statement more fully. I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the date of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about, I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carrying those bricks down, you know, at a few handfuls at a time going down, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of a building at the sixth floor level. Securing the rope at the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went back down to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 22 of the claim form that my weight is 150 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needlessly to say, I proceeded up the side of the building at a very rapid rate of speed. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains my fractured skull and collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until my fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. By this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground at the bottom and, and fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel then weighed approximately 50 pounds. 
I refer you again to the information in block 22 <laughs> regarding my weight, which was 150 pounds. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met what? The barrel coming up. <laughs> this accounts for two fractured ankles and a laceration of my legs and lower body. You don't have anything on this guy. Okay. <laughs> the second encounter with the barrel showed slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks, and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to stand and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. The empty what? Barrel weighed more than the rope, so it proceeded at a rapid descent down the side of the building, landing on and breaking both of my legs. I hope I have furnished you with information sufficient to explain trying to do the job alone was the was the was the stated cause of the accident. Sincerely, a bricklayer. <laughs> so this guy made a really easy job, didn't he? He made a really easy job, really difficult, and he was trying to do it alone, wasn't he? My friends, you don't do this alone. This is the spirit of God, and He will equip you to do this. You are not alone. The Spirit of God is going to do this through you. Let's go ahead and dive in. They say when you're speaking, add humor. So, anyways, your pastor told about his ingrown toenail today and made me laugh. So, <laughs> must be an art to it or something. So, go ahead and open your booklets to page one there, where it says, what do we tell the non-Christian? This one right here, that page right there. You know, when you take a class, you would often expect to get an exam, you know, after the after the class, right? After the seminar, you're going to get an exam. Well, not this one. So you can be relieved. In this one, I'm going to give you an exam before it even starts. So on that page entitled, What Do We Tell the Non-Christian? You can see a box there, and it says, The Gospel Is. The Gospel Is. After that, in that box, I want, you, well, I want you to give your best definition of what the gospel is, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Now, someone can get saved in as many words as you want in that box. And you haven't even have the rest of the page if you want to. Ex give your explanation or your definition, your best definition of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So you can go ahead and get started. You can have a little thing a little thinking time, but just go ahead and start writing what you think the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Don't be embarrassed. Only you're going to look at it and you're going to grade yourself later. So start writing and give what you think the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The gospel is, and then give your definitions. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to complete that. 10, 9, 8, 7, Six, five, four, three, two, one. Well, let me get started. If you feel like you need to go on, keep keep going on. You're fine. You can listen in. Well, girls can. Girls can listen and write at the same time. Guys, up here. Okay? <laughs> let me begin by saying this. I sincerely pity 
the non-Christian, especially these days. I really pity them. You know, many of us can think back to this time before we were believers. Somehow the Lord was working in your heart, you know, doing something in you. And, um, you know, in weeks, months, if not years before that, you kind of felt this something either missing from your life or something that you needed to know or something about heaven or the afterlife or something. You can you can begin to, if you think back, maybe you can begin to remember some of those times, you know, of, of things going on in your life during that time. Maybe it was an accident or something like that, you know. Uh, but things happening, you know, back then. And the same thing is going on today in other people's lives. The Lord is talking to them about this need of salvation, this need for being saved, this need for an answer of what happens to me in the afterlife, if you will. You know, after this body perishes, what happens to me? The Lord's doing that. And these days, as we see around us, especially in churches and and things, I sincerely pity the non-Christians. I, I really do, because do they have they ever heard or do they even have the potential of hearing a good gospel presentations? This is a wonderful church. We were here today, and I just love the small body of believers. There's something intimate about this. There's something freeing for a pastor to communicate through the Spirit, just to be free to communicate the Spirit of God, you know, and the gospel comes out so clearly in what was even communicated today, but not all pastors, even not all churches even attempt to do that or even have the freedom to do that. So I sincerely pity the non-Christians out there today, you know, and, but, you know, if you can imagine that time and even people today, they, they've heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they know that Jesus Christ and the gospel has something to do with being saved. They just can't put it all together. They don't know what it is. What do I do with Jesus Christ in this gospel. Let me give you an illustration that I believe kind of clears this up for us of people today. Let's suppose, suppose you're a non-Christian and, you know, in your living life, life is good, you know, sort of, but there's something in your life. There's a struggle. There's even just maybe not even a struggle, this internal something inside you about this need for being saved. And so, Sunday morning, you know, your regular schedule on a Sunday morning is you get up, you know, you late, you have a little breakfast, you lay around, then maybe in the afternoon go do something with your friends or you do something around the house. Nothing really, you know, this is your day off. You know, this is all for you, you know. So, but the Spirit of God is dealing with you about this idea, this notion of being saved. So it's Sunday morning. And for some reason, your alarm clock, which you thought turned off, you know, is somehow it's on today. So it wakes you up at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. You know, so you, you know, you kind of get a, you know, you're shocked to, to wake up on a Sunday morning. You thought, oh, man, if I wake up, I'm going to stay up. So you sit there, alarm clock's on and it's tuned to a radio station because that's what you have your alarm clock, you know, tuned to. We don't have, back back in the day, guys, we didn't have phones to wake us up. We had alarm clocks. So you have to, you know, this is old generation stuff. So who wakes up with their phones, by the way? Yeah, I figured so. Yeah. Anyways, 
So your alarm clock is tuned to a radio station. Oh, you can? Oh, okay. Well, I didn't even know that. I thought it was that noise right there. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. So anyway, so you're, so you're, the, the radio station that is tuned to just so happens they're sponsoring a religious broadcast that day. Let's say it just so happens, you know. And so you begin to listen. You're just laying there in bed, you know, no problems, no problems. And, you know, so the guy is speaking. You can, you, you're listening to him. And somewhere in his message, if you will, he says the gospel. The gospel is forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Forgiveness for every wrong thought you've ever had. Forgiveness for every wrong thing you've ever said. Forgiveness for every wrong act that you've ever done. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Now you're laying there and you're thinking, I know the life that I've lived. I know what I've said. I know what I've done. And I need some forgiveness. Now you have to remember, the Spirit of God is dealing with this person. Just as He was dealing with us back before we got saved, the Spirit of God is dealing with this person. So he decides, you know, he just so happens to decide, I'm going to go to church today. You know, there's a little church over in Pasadena that I've heard about, you know, and, and somebody has invited me and invited me and invited me, but I've always been able to tell them no, no, no. Today, you know, I tell you what, um, I'm going to go to church. You know, it's something I never do. You know, I'm going to go ahead and go to church. So he gets, this guy gets showered, he you know, shaves, he gets all dressed and he jumps in his car and he starts driving over to Cross Connection, you know, and he's going over to it. But that trip is probably a 30 or 45 minute ride. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn my radio on and tune to a religious station and see if I can find something else out about this gospel, about this religious thing. So he tunes his radio into a religious station and another, a guy speaking. And the guy says, you know, God cannot make the gospel any simpler. We have to stop. The gospel is this. We have to stop living a life centered around ourselves and start living a life centered around God. And he goes on and on and on that the gospel is to stop living a life centered around ourselves and start living a life centered around God. Now you're driving to cross connection. You know, you're driving to the church and you've heard two different religious guys, two different pastors, two different men of God, if you will, give two different definitions of what the gospel is. One said it's forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Well, this one says is it to stop living a life centered around ourselves and start living a life centered around God. Now we as believers, do we know what each of those are saying? Yes, we do. We know what each of those are saying. But this guy's a non-believer. He's never been raised in a church. He doesn't have much knowledge. Or even if he is, he still doesn't understand what, what, what they're saying because he's get, two different guys have given two different definitions of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So he says, but I'm going to go to that church and I'm going to see. I'm going to see if, if, it, if it really, you know, maybe I can get my answers there at that church. So finally he makes it to the church. He walks in, you know, he goes past the greeting of all the people, you know, and then, you know, and in our church, we have a coffee, a whole coffee house, if you will, 
you know, and she got to make it through, through the coffee house and all these other things, you know, and another person greets you and then another person greets you. And finally, you as a, you know, the first timer, you take your seat way in the back for the quick getaway in case, you know, these people go, get crazy on me or something like that, you know. So you take your seat in the back and finally the worship team gets up here. You know, and you're looking around, people are raising their hands, you don't know what's going on, and they're singing songs you have never absolutely heard before, you know, but you're making it through it, you know, and finally they give announcements, and finally you make it, the pastor walks up, you know, and you're ready, you know, you're ready to hear, you're you're hungry to hear, you need to hear what this gospel of Jesus Christ means and what it is. And so the pastor gets up. And he begins his message, and he's talking. This is not like cross-connection, by the way. I didn't mean there. So it was just a great illustration. So the pastor gets up, and he says, Throughout America today, we need to preach the gospel to them. We need to tell America this. We need to tell them that God loves them, to join the church, be baptized, and become one of his disciples. That's the gospel. That's what we tell them, to join the church, be baptized, and become one of his disciples, and that God loves them, and he gives all that to them. That's what we need to tell them. That's the gospel. So you're sitting where? On what row? The back row. And you've heard three different, and you saw the guy say it. You know, you you heard it, and you saw him say it. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Guys, three different guys have given this person Three different definitions of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. For that reason, that right there, and that may be far-fetched. That story may be a little far-fetched to you, but I say it's not. Many people are hungry for the word out there, hungry to hear about what Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did on the cross. Even though they don't know the whole story and they can't put it all together, they're hungry. And two things, either we're not bold enough or even have the knowledge to share with them, or even the pastors are not sharing with them a clear gospel message. For that reason, we have to be clear with with it. We have to be clear with it. And the thing for us, guys, that makes that situation so alarming is that Paul talked about this. Write this verse down and go back, go and look at it later. In Acts 28... Acts chapter 28, right around verse 22. Paul the Apostle talked about people who heard but did not understand. They heard it. This is the Apostle Paul talking about this. People who heard but did not understand. Therefore, we need to make the gospel clear. The reason that many people that have shared this over the years Larry Moyer, the man who the Lord used to develop this, you can tell it. Even he says this. He says, we don't share this, the simple gospel message with them. We lay everything on them. Everything on them. We start in Genesis, you know, and we go through the Bible with them. You know, when you know we're in the Old Testament, we're in Judges, and we go through the prophets, and you know, and then we're into the gospels, and then, you know, we go to the letters, and then we end in, where? Where do we end? 
No, we end way further back than that. We end in maps. You know, we share everything with them. And I know that's exaggerated, but I'm trying to show you. We lay everything on the poor lost soul instead of the simple gospel message. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us about many things in our lives. He is. The Lord's teaching us and correcting us and, and, and sanctifying us. But for an unbeliever, an unbeliever, he's speaking to them about one thing and one thing only the Holy Spirit speaking to them about. Not about clean up their lives, not about to stop going out to bars, not committing adultery, whatever they're doing in their life, whatever sin it is or anything. He's talking to them about one issue and one issue only, and that's their need to understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because we know that once we become believers, the Holy Spirit was does what? He comes into us. He indwells us. And then all those other things that the Lord desires to correct us on and teach us about, that's when the Holy Spirit starts working on those things. But to the unbeliever, it's about one thing and one thing only, their need for Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we need to make the gospel simple and clear to them. So at the top of page one, you can see, if we're going to tell people how to get to heaven, we must explain it clearly. In order to do so, we must have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. So what is the gospel? Go ahead and turn your page. What is the gospel? How would God define this gospel? The one that you defined on that first page there. How would God define that? Let's study that right now. And you'll see that we're going to study this, and it's going to come from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, which is in your booklets there. So let's go ahead and read that right there. I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. Verse 2. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also one born out of as one born out of due time. Paul says that he was seen by me. Paul saw Jesus Christ. I saw him, he said. So you'll notice that we divided this page into two sections, the presentation of the gospel. And then halfway down there, you can see the four verbs Paul used, or should I say God used in defining the gospel. Let's look at the presentation of the gospel. And I want, to, I want to ask two questions. What did Paul do, number one there, and how did the people respond? Let's look at what Paul did. Paul says, There I received, um, or I preached that which I also what? I, I preached that which I also received. Write that in that first blank there. I preached that which I also received. The word receive there comes from the, is in the same word that's used in Galatians 1.12. 
where Paul says, I did not receive it of men, but I was taught it of God. What Paul is saying, what I'm writing down to you, what I'm giving to you right now here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, did not come from me having lunch with a pastor at a coffee shop or some other means. What I'm sharing with you came straight from God to me, and now I'm writing down from you. Essentially, what I'm writing down came straight from God. This is for you. This is from God, is, was what Paul saying. I preached that which I also received. Notice uh, also it goes on and says, and then how did the people respond? Paul says in verse 1 that they what it? They, they received it. That's right. They received it in verse 1, which had the idea that they embraced it as being true. When you, re- when you heard the gospel, I mean, you did, you said, and you came to the knowledge of it, you embraced it. You embraced it as being true. Secondly, in verse 1, it says not only did they receive it, but the last word there, it says, by in which you what? Stand. That's right. Stand. They stand. They stood in it, if you will. That's 2B. You stand in it, which means here's where you are and you're absolutely convinced of it. All of you out there, could I, if I had tried to convince you that Jesus Christ did not live, that Jesus Christ was not the Savior, that Jesus Christ is not going to come again, that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. Could I convince you of that right now? No, absolutely not. No, you're sold out on it, aren't you? This is absolutely the truth. You embraced it as being true, and you're convinced of it. And then see, here's what happened. This is what happened when they presented the gospel. In verse 2, it says, By which also you are what? Saved. Very good. Saved. You were saved by it. There to see. Write that down. To see. You were saved by it. So Paul says they received it, they stood in it, and they were saved. They were saved. Keep those three things in mind. When you're talking to a person about the gospel of Jesus Christ, because when you go over to Africa, here's the response that you will get. Do you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ? And we'll talk about this later. Do you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ? And here's the answer. One of you guys, give me the answer you'll get. That's been before. Say it again. They don't hear it. That is yes. Okay? Yes. For us in America, it's yes, I want to. Yes. Come on, Lord. Yes. But for them, you know what it is? That's what it is. That's it. That's it. Mm. Hey, hey. Even a little A on there. Hey. And you're going like, you're looking at your translator? I asked the question. They, they said yes. You're going, okay, great. You know, that's that's it. Some you will get yes, but very few you will get an emotional response. We as Americans, and we now as we've grown in Christ, we're even more excited, aren't we? We're even more excited, you know? Yes, Lord, yes, yes, yes. You know, we're praising the Lord and doing things like that. But even our response may have not been an emotional response. You know, it may have just been, okay, I get it now. Yes, you know, okay, you know. But what happened in their head and in their heart? They stood in it. They received it. They stood in it means they embraced it as being true. And then what happened? They were saved. They were saved. 
it's this change that we always talk about that you hear from the pulpit. You know, the hardest part for a person to come to Christ is what what is what do they say? Yeah, something like this, this distance. You know, you have to connect these two. You have to believe in your heart. Scripture says when you when you believe in your heart, you know, then that's when you're saved, you know, and confess with your mouth. Then you are saved. But the believing in the heart is confessing with your mouth, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. And you say, well, well wait a minute. Keith, you have to, you, 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 what you just said, Keith, doesn't, doesn't make any sense. You know, you have to confess with your mouth. Well, did the thief on the cross, did he say, yes, I put my trust in Jesus Christ? No. Jesus Christ recognized what had changed in the heart. And Jesus Christ said, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. That's right. Keep that in mind. When you believe in your heart, it's in your heart that the Lord looks at. And that's what happened. They received it. They stood in it. And then they were saved. So keep those three things in mind. So as you're talking to someone, that's their response. But what is God asking you to tell them? Look at this. The four verbs Paul used in defining the gospel. Let's start there. So the first verb... um, there it says, um, there's, where am I here? He says, in verse, uh, verse three, he says, first of all, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that, that Christ what? Christ died. Put that in that first blank there. Christ died. Christ died. And then after that, there are two phrases. They're written right below that. It says, Christ died in verse 3. And then what is the first phrase? For what? For our sins. For our sins. The word for there means Christ died for our sins or on behalf of our sins. He did not die. Many people think this. Christ died to show us how to die. Die to self. Christ died to show us how to live. Christ's purpose for coming down here on earth, was to die for our sins. Always keep that in mind. Die for our sins. That was his primary goal, his primary objective. Now, did he do many other things? Show us how to live a sinless life and all those things? Yes, but his primary goal was to die for our sins. Christ, it was an instead of a, instead of us kind of death. Had he not died, what would we have to do? We would have to go to hell, wouldn't we, if he had not have died? That's right. Christ died for our sins. And then what's the next phrase? According to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. All right. For all you others, don't say anything that have been through this class before. So since it says according to the Scriptures, what Scriptures do you think Paul was talking about? What? The Old what? Testament Scriptures? That's what he's talking about. The Old Testament Scriptures. So since he says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures... Where in the Old Testament is the death of Jesus Christ predicted? Can anyone tell me that? Very good. Very good. Isaiah. That's right. Isaiah. That's right. Isaiah chapter 53. Write that down there. Isaiah chapter 53, 5 and 6 there, where he says, He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Paul the Apostle wants you to know, guys, he wants you to know that what he's saying right here is exactly 
what Isaiah said over 700 years earlier. How do we know that the Bible is true? One of the things that we know that the Bible is true is by prophecy. It was predicted and the fulfillment of that prophecy happened. So when somebody asks you, well, how do you even know that the Bible's true? Well, how do you even know that what you're believing is true? One of the reasons is by prophecy that we know that what we believe and, and the word that we believe is true. It's one of the things is prophecy. It, it makes what we believe true. Now, many other things are involved with that, but that's one of the things that we have as proof and evidence of what we're believing is the right thing. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then the second verse, Paul says, and that he was what in verse 4? Buried, buried. He was buried. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried. Notice that Paul didn't doesn't repeat any other phrase after that. He just says, he was buried. Paul wanted to give proof of Jesus Christ's death with saying, he was buried. Christ died, he was buried. Christ died, he was buried. That's the proof of it. So then the third verb, Christ died, he was buried. And then the last part of verse 4, it says, and that he what? Rose again. Write that there. And that he rose again. Rose again. That sounds kind of funny to say rose again, doesn't it? But we know what it's talking about. Jesus Christ arose and he is still risen. He is still risen. Amen? Our Savior has risen. All those other religions, all those other, their Savior, their, their whatever you call them, you know, their leader, they're still dead in the grave. But our Savior is arisen. He rose and he arisen. There will never be a newspaper in Jerusalem that says the body of Christ has been discovered. It's not going to happen. Okay? Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. And then after he rose again, there are two phrases. He rose again what day? The third day. That's right. The third day. Now remember that. The third day. I want you to just make note of that in your head that this is what we're communicating. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is the definition of it. Keep that in mind. He rose the third day. Now, all of us know that, but keep that in mind in your gospel that we're going to communicate to that someone. He rose the third day according to what? What scriptures did they have? The Old Testament. All right. The Old Testament. So, for you Bible scholars out there, tell me, where the resurrection of Christ is predicted. There are many places, but can you think of any? That's exactly the one I was thinking of. Very good. Man, if I had a candy or something, man, I'd throw it at you. Very good. Very, very well done. Psalm, Psalm 1610. Very good. Psalm 16.10, he said it exactly what I was going to read. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. My friends, his resurrection was predicted. When someone asks you, well, how do you know what you believe is true? They said it over 700 years early before, before it ever even happened. That's how we know. That's how we know. You know? 
So Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. And then the last verb that Paul used or God used in verse 5, and he was what? Seen. Seen. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. And right in that last, right in that last blank there, he was seen. He was seen. Are you starting to get this? The flow of what Paul, the definition of what Paul is, is communicating here. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen. Paul wanted to give proof of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And how do you do that? What's the greatest testimony you can ever have in a courtroom? An eyewitness. An eyewitness. When a guy, when somebody comes into the courtroom for you and they saw everything, that can prove you either innocent or guilty. I saw what he or she did. I saw what he or she did. How can, you know, and when you have two or three of those and the story starts, you know, there starts to be some truth, you know, two or three people have seen the same thing. They're either going to find you guilty or innocent, depending on what you what you did. The greatest testimony you can ever have in a courtroom is eyewitness. So what does Paul do? He says in verse in verse five there, and that he was seen by who? Cephas. Who said? Who said? Which one of you said that? Okay, I don't know. Whoever got it, that's great. That's right, Peter. Cephas is Peter. That's right. He was seen by Peter. And then by who? Twelve. And then he was seen by how many? Five hundred at once, whom the greater part remain to this present. And then he was seen by James, by all the apostles. And then he was, Paul says, and then guess what? I saw him. I saw him. Paul says, I saw him right there. He was right there. You know, he's not in the grave. I saw him. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again and he was seen. Christ died, he was buried, he rose, he rose again and he was seen. A man by the name of J.N.D. Anderson once made a comment. If all the evidence were brought into the courtroom against Jesus Christ, guess what? Jesus Christ would have been found guilty. What? What? He, he would have been found guilty. He would have been found guilty of having risen from the grave. Our Savior rose from the grave. And that's why one day, my friends, one day we will rise with Him. Amen? That's right. Yes, I know it's hard to see, but one day we're going to be there with Him. Is that not just such a wonderful, victorious story? And it's not just a story, it's the truth. Our Lord and Savior did this. Christ died he was buried, he rose again, and he was seen. So in conclusion, there at the bottom of your page, guys, the gospel by which we are saved, Paul defined it with 10 words. 10 big ones. Are you ready? You ready? 10 words. Christ died for our sins and, and rose from the dead. Write that down there. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. 
Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Say it with me. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. How many letters? I mean, words? Ten. (laughs) How many letters? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. I'm watching. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Three more times. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. If anybody yawns through that, I'm coming out to get you. Okay? Christ, that's good stuff, isn't it? Say it again. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Very good. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Guys, Christ died. They say, say it quietly and then people can. Christ died for us. Say it with me. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. So, your pastor is going to come in and ask you next week, what's the gospel of Jesus Christ? Give me. And the shortest as you can give it, you're going to say what? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Come on. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Very good. The the art of learning for anyone except for those really highly intelligent people. But for me, who's not highly intelligent, the art of learning is in repetition. 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 If you want to benefit from this that you're being taught today, you have to go through it. You have to go through it and you have to go through it. When I teach you the method of what, how we communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to do it over and over and over again. We'll talk more about that later. One more time. Christ died for our sins and rose. Come on. Christ died for our sins and rose. from. The, I know, I know. You're sick of me already. That's okay. I'm out of your life here in about an hour and a half. So <laughs> now, now go back and look at what you wrote on the first page. You know, it's funny when I get to this part because the ladies have filled out almost all the page, but the guys, they got like 15 or 16 words, but it had nothing to do with this, you know. Several. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it's funny how that works, you know, as you're looking around. But so, guys, just go to suffice suffice it to say, they're smarter than us. They just really are. If you young guys that you're not married or that you're maybe in a relationship, just settle on it right now. They're smarter than us, and it's okay. If you figure that out, you'll stay married for many years. I've been married for. they're just smarter than us okay (laughs) way to go man yeah that's right okay (laughs) so now do we understand to begin here why we have such a difficult time in evangelism because we're sharing everything from genesis all the way back to what mass with the with the poor lost soul when what is the Holy Spirit speaking to them about? About this idea, this truth about being saved, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not us. We share, we lay everything, or we think 
that we have to lay everything. And, and so when we think that, what do we think? Well, then we have to know everything, right? We have to know everything about the religion. We have to know everything about that word and everything. My friends, if you know this, you know the gospel, you're ready to go out and share it. Christ what? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Napoleon had three instructions. He'd give his messengers as he would send a messenger out to the battlefield to give a message. He would say to this messenger, I'm going to give you this. And I want you, I'm going to give you three instructions. First of all, I want you to be clear. So do that. Be clear. Secondly, I want you to be clear. And thirdly, guess what? I want you to what? Be clear. Be clear. Be clear. Be clear. In evangelism, in evangelism, we have to be clear, be clear, be clear. Because those three pastors that I gave you an example about, we knew what they, every one of them were sharing with the lost soul. We know, yes, it's about becoming a disciple, right? It's about being a part of a body of believers, right? A, a church, if you will. It's about getting baptized. It's about forgiveness, 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 right? It's about all those things. We understand that as believers, but an unbeliever who has not been indwelt with the Holy Spirit quite possibly don't understand those things. So we need to make it as simple as we can and share the good news of Jesus Christ as simple as we can, okay? So here's the thing. So you're thinking, well, Keith, it can't be that easy. Grab your Bibles or open, open, your, open your Bibles or grab your phone, whichever one, and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You're thinking, Keith, well, that's probably not what the Apostle Paul went through. Huh? No. He probably had to go, you know, he, that's not the way he communicated it. You know, something was different with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And thank you, Pastor, for the word today. It was rich. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was speaking here. The Apostle Paul had just come back from Athens where he had a very unfruitful ministry. What we would call an unfruitful ministry. And here's what he said. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, When I came to you, brothers... I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. Now, wait a minute. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. I mean, that can't be. He can't say, I, I proclaim to know nothing while I was with you. That doesn't make sense. But as we read on, it does make sense. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him, what? Crucified. Paul the Apostle said, of all those things that I could share with you, of all the things that maybe I even want to share with you, here's the most beneficial thing that you be can begin to understand. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you, he says in verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. If you've never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, or even if you have, you can ask your pastor even about getting up today that he had some anxiousness in his heart. Even though he had been over his message probably and shared it and probably even maybe given this message 
other times, and I can tell you even now as I'm up here, I'm up here in fear and weakness and with trembling, but I'm up here. And you're going to go out there and you're going to be in fear and weakness and trembling. And guess what you're going to share with them? Because Paul the Apostle felt this same thing. That same thing. It's normal for our flesh to feel this. It's okay. But then Paul says, all I knew is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My message, he says in verse 4, and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. No, you're not going to be like the bricklayer doing it alone. You're going out, my friend, and you're going to go out with a translator, and you're going out with the Spirit of God is in you. Because he that is in you is greater than who? He that is in the world. It's, it's, it's about Jesus Christ in you. You think, well, I don't have the words. You know what? You don't have the words. You say, I don't have the knowledge. No, you don't have the knowledge. But the power of the Spirit does have those things. And I'm telling you right now, you'll come back. If when I interview you, if I interviewed you at the end of August, you'll say, Keith, I don't even, you'll say these words. I don't even remember what I said. I can't, I don't, I, don't, I said something and I even remember. Now, okay, I remember what I said, and I don't, but I don't know where that came from. It is the demonstration of the Spirit's power. I'm just telling you it'll happen. You think that I'm foolish right now as I'm telling you that, but it's going to happen. It is going to happen. Your dependency has to be on, not on you though. As Paul saw, his dependency, he says, he, he was dependent upon himself, but he came back. He says, this is all I had. This is when I emptied myself of everything, of myself. The Spirit communicates this. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is that not good stuff? Even the Apostle Paul felt what maybe to a certain extent you're feeling right now. But even if you did it every day, every Sunday, as the pastor, I guarantee you, could attest to you that even as he gets up here, Every time he has a sense of fear and anguish and trembling. Am I going to honor you in what I'm doing today, Lord? Am I going to communicate clearly what it needs to be communicated? Because there is a sense that we, the power has to come. The Lord has to do it through us. And the Spirit has to do that. And sometimes we doubt if we're going to be able to turn that over to the Lord. And so there's a, there's a sense of fear and anxiousness. It's normal but just keep walking one step after another. And my friend, you will get it. You will do it. It's good. Ten words. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Give yourself a hand. All right. No more hot dogs for you guys, okay? All right. So that's it. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the simple definition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at two things. Let's turn the page and let's answer two questions here. What is God asking the non-Christian to do with that information? Sorry, the last question that I asked, what is God asking the non-Christian to do? Now that we know that we're going to share with the lost person, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. What is 
God asking the non-Christian to understand about that. So let's go through that right now. So when you share the good news of Jesus Christ, there at the top of page three with lost people, sometimes they will respond. And I'm telling you, this is the way they'll respond. If you've never done this, they say, they'll say, oh, yes. And maybe you've talked to people, you know, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, uh, have you ever, you know, put your faith in Jesus Christ? And they'll say something, you know, oh, yeah, I've, I've done that. You know, I believe that. I believe that. You know, but, you know, as evidence of their life or something else going on, you just, it's difficult to, to swallow, isn't it? It's difficult to believe. So there at the page, they'll say, oh, yes, I believe that. In fact, I've always believed that. But for one reason or another, you somehow sense that they really don't know Christ. They don't seem to understand saving faith. So to be effective in evangelism, we must answer the question, what is saving faith? In fact, I think that's one people, one reason why people, um, they have doubts about their salvation. You know, the, they'll come to Christ, and, but then they'll start doubting wh- what they believe. They don't understand what saving faith really is. And I'm convinced that you can walk into a church today with people that say, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And they cannot look you eyeball to eyeball and tell you, I know absolutely for sure that I'm going to heaven. Can you look me eyeball to eyeball here today and say, I know for sure. I know absolutely for sure that I'm going to heaven. Can you do that? You know, many people doubt their salvation on top of many people not even understanding what salvation is. Many people doubt their salvation. It's very And it's very difficult for us, isn't it, to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, when we don't know for sure we're going to heaven. You know, isn't it hard? You know, sometimes I'm caught in Houston and I'm working outside and a person will drive by and say, hey, can you get me over here to this place? You know, man, if I didn't have my, you know, if I didn't have Google Maps with me, I couldn't find my way around. I can't tell them how to get there. But I can tell you, I can tell people that I talk to how to get to heaven. Because I know the directions. But if I didn't know the directions, how can I go out and tell people how to get to heaven? I have to know for sure myself. So the second paragraph there. To communicate the concept of saving faith, the, the Bible uses two words, believe, which is a verb, and faith, which is a noun. These two words are used hundreds of times. When these words are studied as they relate to salvation, it becomes clear that the object of saving faith is Jesus Christ it also becomes clear that saving faith in Christ involves three elements. Think, remember these three elements. Let's go through them right quick. Turn the page to page four. First of all, saving faith involves knowledge of who Christ is. Knowledge of who Christ is. Saving faith involves knowledge of who Christ is. Well, that, that's common sense, isn't it? I mean, we got to know who Jesus is, right? Well, the Bible proves this because it it puts hearing before believing. John 5, 24 says that verse right there in, in your booklet. It says, he who what? Hears my word and believes in who's, him who sent me. Romans 10, 14 says, how shall they believe in him if they have not what? Heard. heard. That's right. My friends, they can't hear in Uganda, in the village that you're going to be going. What's the name of it, Jaime? 
Sissy Falls. I call it Sissy Falls, but okay, CC Falls. CC Falls, they can't hear if you don't go. They have to hear it. They have to hear it. We had we had to hear it. We had to have knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So what content must be known? First of all, his humanity. John 4, 1 John 4, 2 there on your booklets. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. 1 John 4, 2. And then John 20, 31 says, We must know about his deity, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I have a young guy working for me right now, and he always says, Now, when you say Lord, are you saying God or are you saying Jesus? You know, which one are you saying? I'm saying, well, I'm saying both. You know, it's the mystery of the Trinity. But we can say Lord to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. All of those is all engulfed in one. We must know that Jesus Christ is God because there are denominations out there that say Jesus Christ is not God. They'll tell you he's an angel. They will diminish his role in the Godhead. So that thing we must communicate, his deity. Thirdly, his death. And fourthly, his resurrection, which we went over in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins and he rose the dead. That makes sense though, doesn't it? When we communicate, a person must know about those things, right? And as we do our bad news, good news, we're going to communicate those things to him or her. Secondly, on page five, saving faith involves acceptance of his person and work. Acceptance of his person and work. The most basic meaning of the Greek words translated believe and faith is to accept something as being true or to be convinced of something. You can understand something, but yet not accept it as being true. For example, if I tell you that I lived in Odessa, Texas, now you have knowledge of it, right? But do you believe me? Do you really believe me? Or are you thinking maybe he's telling a story? You know, Keith's telling a story. He didn't live in Odessa, Texas. Well, first of all, Nobody would live in Odessa, Texas unless they had to. And nobody would ever pre- profess to know. If you know Odessa, Texas, it's in West Texas. It's a very sandy desert climate. It gets about eight inches of rain, if that, a year. It's, they have, in fact, they have a place there called No Trees. Because why? It doesn't have any trees in it. And that's the name of the city. But also, you know, you... You just wouldn't want to live. We called it we called it slow deatha is actually what we called it, slow deatha Texas. So, but but however, if you knew, and I know everyone knows this. I know if you if you saw this, you go well. Of course, I know that Keys is from Odessa, Texas, and I know everyone knows this that the biggest statue of a jackrabbit is in Odessa, Texas. Go ahead, tell me. You know this, right? Don't be fibbing to me. You don't know this? Lila, get out of here. And if you come next year, guess which story you'll hear. Okay, Lila's heard the story too many times. That was perfect timing, Lila. That was good. Yes, I tell you this every year because I want to remind you that I'm from Odessa, Texas. But if you saw a picture of me beside that jackrabbit, because I know you all know that the giant, the stag, look it up, the giant jackrabbit in Odessa, Texas, and you'll see 
It's there. You think I'm fibbing to you, but it's the truth. There's a giant jackrabbit there. I'm telling you, there's two. That's right. <laughs> That's right. See Texas, man. You don't need to get out of Texas to see the world, do you? That's right. Go to Odessa, Texas. You'll see the giant jackrabbit. By the way, there's a, there was a, uh, a not a mystery, but a, um, what would it be called? Uh, anyways, you know those murder mysteries that they have on television where there was a mystery around something that happened, a scandal. A scandal in Odessa one time about that jackrabbit. One day they came up. It's on the courtroom, the courthouse. It's on the courthouse lawn, by the way. Okay. And uh, so it came to the courthouse and one of the ears were missing. And this jackrabbit's like 10 feet tall or something like that. So, you know, the ears pretty big. It was missing. One of the ears was missing. Scandal in Odessa. Man, I'm telling you, you could have murders and everything else. But, man, don't mess with the jackrabbit. So the ear, one of the ears was missing. And so... The mayor, the mayor, you know, he pleaded with the people. If anybody knows anything about this, and if anybody did it, just bring the ear back, put it on the courthouse steps, and we won't prosecute, we won't do anything. Guess what? That ear appeared on the courthouse steps, and they glued that sucker back on. Now I'd have, That's a true story. That's funny stuff, isn't it? That's good. <laughs> I did. Uh, I told you I was a shy person. I didn't steal ears. Yep. All right. So you got you got to accept something as being true. So if I tell you I'm from Odessa, you know, okay, you have knowledge of it. Do you really accept it as being true? That's the point I'm trying to make and all that. So saving faith involves knowledge of who Christ is, and then you got to accept it as being true. And then thirdly, saving faith involves the third on page five there, number three, saving faith involves trust in Christ alone to save. Trust in Christ alone to save. The two Greek words translated believe and faith include this idea of trust. This means a reliance on or a dependence on. How do we know this? The New Testament emphasizes this many times by putting a preposition after believe. John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him should not perish. Not whoever believes him, but believes in him should not perish. And John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. The point a person can understand the good news of Jesus Christ, accept the fact of it being true, and yet not be trusting Christ to save him. This word, my friends, trust, trust. We'll go over it again and again, but it's such a good word as opposed to even though believe and faith and accept are good words to make to communicate what a person must do. Trust to me is a better word. Trust in something. Trust in something. Trust in Christ to save him. So had you asked Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Everybody's heard of Martin Luther, right? Had you asked Martin Luther, do you believe that Jesus Christ died? At one point in your life, had you asked Martin Luther, do you believe that Jesus Christ died? He would have said, yes, I believe that. Had you asked Martin Luther, uh, did Jesus Christ, was he raised from the dead? He would have said, yes, I believe that. Had you asked Martin Luther, 
do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Martin Luther would have said, yes. Yes, I have knowledge of all that. I know all of that. But Martin Luther, by his own admission, he said this. He was not going to heaven. He was not a believer because he wasn't trusting in Christ to get him to heaven. He had all that knowledge, but he was not trusting in Christ to get him to heaven. He was trusting in his self, in his own sacrifice, in, in his own works to get him to heaven, not in Christ. So you must have knowledge, an unbeliever must have knowledge of who Christ is, acceptance of his personal work, and entrust in Christ alone, alone to save him. Imagine with me four men out in a ship, four men, and they're out in a ship in the Caribbean. And so take these four men. The boat begins to take on water and it's starting to sink. And so there's a lifeboat there. So take the first man. The first man, he doesn't even know what the lifeboat, what that silly looking thing is for. You know, he doesn't even know. Nobody's ever told him. He doesn't know. So second man, somebody's told him what that lifeboat is for. He just, you know, he just doesn't accept the fact that it would save his life. But the third man, the third man, somebody has told him what a lifeboat is for. He even accepts the fact that he, if he gets in it, it'll save his life. But he would rather trust in himself. Maybe I'll swim. Maybe I'll wade. Maybe that boat, you know, really, you know, I'd rather trust in myself than in that boat. Fourth man, he has knowledge that the boat will save him. He accepts the fact of it being true. You know, in fact, he'll get in it and trust in the boat to save his life. Which man is going to be saved? The fourth man. The fourth man that has knowledge of the boat, accepts the fact that it'll save him, and then will trust in that boat to get him to heaven, to get it to save his life, or for us to get us to heaven, if you understand. So it takes knowledge of who Christ is, acceptance of his personal work, and trust in Christ alone to save. Once you understand that, accept that fact of being true, you have, and once you have knowledge of who Christ is and accept the fact of it being true, you have to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, it's still not coming through to me. So you'll go to Africa and you'll hear this. So, Jesus Christ? Oh yeah, I know about Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know about him. In fact, you know, I've been following him all of my life. In fact, I'm a believer. Just a second, let me show you. And they'll run back to their room. They'll come out and they'll show you their baptismal certificate. Their baptismal certificate. You'll have these. Their baptismal certificate. Back to the man on the cross the thief on the cross, that Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Was he baptized? No, he wasn't. Baptism, water baptism that we're talking about today is not what saves you. The immersion into Jesus Christ is what saves you. The Holy Spirit coming into your life, that's what saves you. So did that person have knowledge of who Jesus Christ is? Yeah, and they even accept the fact that they think they're going to heaven. But that person had not put, and you'll come across this, not put their trust in Jesus Christ. They're trusting in their baptism. People put their trust in their good works. to say, if I, if I go and I confess, or if I give money to the church, or if I live a good life, you'll hear that. 
what do you, why do you think you're going to be spending eternity in God if you ask them? They'll go, well, I've lived a good life, you know. I've, I'm, God accepts me for who I am. I, I've tried to live a good life. Good works. That's good works. It's not by works that which we are saved. The, the Word tells us we have to put our trust in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. So, at the bottom there, in conclusion, saving faith involves knowledge of who Christ is, acceptance of His person and work, and trust in Christ alone to save. There at the bottom of page 5. Knowledge of who Christ is, acceptance of His person and work, and trust in Christ alone to save. Saving faith involves knowledge of who Christ... Say it with me. Knowledge of who Christ is, acceptance of His person and work, and trust in Christ alone to save. Knowledge of who Christ is, acceptance of His person and work, and trust in Christ alone to save. I won't make you <laughs> go through it <laughs> too much. So, um, And that's why I'm convinced that many people have doubt about their own salvation, guys. It's because they don't understand what saving faith really is. Many people do struggle with their salvation, and, they, and they'll say to you something like this, you know, well, did I understand or did I not understand, you know, after maybe they become a believer, was I emotional enough or was I not in, did I not have the right emotion, you know, what 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 kind of response are you going to get in Africa? Eh, mm, you know, you know, you know, we don't know with emotion if if a person comes to Christ or even with our own emotion. It's the fact. Who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in right now? If you can say, and my friends, my daughter got saved, who we thought was a believer at the age of 12, or maybe she was even 13. She may have been 13 when we went through the class. 13, we thought she was a believer. And until she went through this class and understood that it's trust in Christ alone to save. And we thought we shared a good, clear, gospel message with her. She got saved in a you-can-tell-it course just like this you have to put your trust in christ and maybe it's today right here right now that you finally understood it's not by any other thing it's by christ alone that i'm going to heaven if you can say that no matter when you cross that line you are sealed forever your name is written in the book of life and erased out of the book of death if you will and you are on your way to heaven and no one, no one, no one can change that. You are on your way to heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Who are you trusting in right now? If it's you can say Jesus Christ, then you are on your way to heaven. Some people know the date they're saved. Some people don't know the date they're saved. And then some people, I believe, are absolutely wrong about the date they're saved. I know exactly where we were saved because we both got saved on the same night by the same person. We were led to the Lord, Linda and I. And some people know exactly the place they were saved, but do you know the date? Who knows the actual date they were saved? If you do, raise your hand. I'm a sort of... Do you? Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you? Yeah. Some people know absolutely know the date they're saved. But then I believe that there's some people that are wrong about the date they're saved. And one day... They're going to get before God and God's going to say, listen, buddy, your whole life, 
your whole life, you've been telling people that you got saved on June 17th, but really you got saved on June 16th and you're going to look at God. He's going to go, oh yeah, it's right. It's right. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether God's going to say, it doesn't matter whether it's June 16th or 17th. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. Come on in. It's not the date. It's not the emotion. It's not the place. Who are you trusting in right now to get you to heaven? If you can say that it's Jesus Christ, then you're on your way to heaven. After all, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever gave... Wait a minute. For God so loved the world, for whoever believes in us, believes what? Say it with me. For God so loved the world. Lila, do I need you to do this? You spoke up a second ago. No? Okay. (laughs) Your parents left. Sorry. For God so loved the world, that whosoever believe in him and knows the date shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that right? What? Is that right? No, that's not right. Uh, It doesn't say knows the date. It says knows him. Knows him shall not perish. (laughs) That's funny stuff, isn't it? Here's the point. If you're going to be consistent and confident in evangelism, you must understand these two things. What we tell the non-Christian and what is God asking the non-Christian to do. So, what do we tell the non-Christian? How many words? Ten words. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And what does God? what is God asking the non-Christian to do? Look down at your books. To have knowledge of who Christ is, acceptance of his person and word, and trust in Christ alone to save. With those two things properly understood as a believer, we were talking about gifts today. And my friend, this gift of evangelism is in every one of you. Is in every one of you. Now, some may have God give a special gift in that area of apologetics or in other areas, but this gift of just saying, yes, Lord, I will do it, he will bestow upon you the gift of communicating. And when you know these two things, guess what? You can tell it. You can tell it. You can tell it. God desires to give this gift to you if you want it. If you want to present the gospel and have a desire to do it, God will give you this gift. I'm telling you, I've seen it, and I've seen it, and I've seen it. Let's go ahead and pray. Close this little session, and then we're going to come back for the session two and finish it out all the way through. Um, so take a short break. Everybody go use the restroom. Kind of get your legs back in there because the next session is it. It is it. We're going to go through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, your goodness in our life. Lord, we thank you that we even have an opportunity Well, first of all, Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, and its power. Lord, you did something for eternity, for us, for mankind, Lord, that we can't even fathom, Lord, the cost that it cost you to do that, Lord. You took all the sins of the world, Lord, and you placed them upon yourself, and you died on that cross for us, Lord, so that one day, Lord, We will be with you in heaven. But not just that, Lord. On this earth, you are in us. 
And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your goodness in that area, for your grace, for your mercy, Lord, and for your love for us. Lord, we thank you for your love. Now, Lord, give us the love for the lost people as you have for them. Lord, we pray at times for family members and people we we know that put somebody in their life that we they will listen to. But maybe today, Lord, we're those people in other people's lives that we want you want us to share with. So, Lord, give us the eyes to see the lost and their need for you the way you see them. Not in judgment, Lord, but in love. Lord, your gospel is simple. Your son died for us and rose from the grave. Lord, give us the gift of evangelism, Lord, we would ask. Lord, continue to teach us. And Lord, even though we know many things, Lord, make these things just reassurances or tools in our tool belt, Lord, of your good gospel message and your word. And we thank you, Father. Continue to speak through all into all of us, Lord, this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed for just a little bit.